Hello, you're listening to The Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery. With me today is... Roger. The other one. And they're... I mean, you can't tell from the noises they made, but they are delighted to be here, aren't you, children? Do you know I'm giddy? He is giddy. To to some extent. He's had a drink. It was pepper army. It's disgusting. Yeah, we should just get this out of the way. The, The podcast wine this week is awful beer. It is the it is the Rogue Brewery Sriracha Stout, and it's disgusting. Don't drink it. it. Tastes like someone blended and carbonated a pepperoni. Learn from our mistakes. One of the toilet stalls today smelled like somebody had been burning honey flavored incense, or perhaps just burning something, or burning some honey. It was very strong. Do you think perhaps it was heroin? No, I don't. Well, that's me out of ideas. <laughs> We don't work at Borders anymore. There's probably no one shooting up in the toilets here. No, this is true. Not that anyone shot up in the toilets of a now defunct bookshop. That didn't happen all day, every day, staff and customers alike. If you're going to do it at work, just crush it and put it up your nose. I mean, shooting up seems like a lot of effort. Mm. So, Roger, what have you been reading? Books! Brilliant! Tell us about those. Can I go and have a pizza now? Tell us about the books. Aww. Earn your crust. Uh, oh, fuck off. You're making me drink this fucking beer. I'm going to be like... You, you rotten weasel bastard. Agreed. Entirely agreed. But until you behave yourself, drink this your is going to continue. I have been reading um, Harrow County. Um, Harrow County is a um, Southern Gothic horror comic by Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook. Cullen Bunn. I'm a big fan of Mr. Bunn. I can't really deal with that. I really like his stuff. Tell me more of Mr. Bunn. Well, he also writes a comic called uh, The Sixth Gun. Cullen Bunn's Sixth Gun. Oh. And uh, I told you this would continue. There's going to be wordplay. It's going to be sparkling. Uh, Sixth Gun is a western um, where there are six pistols and they keep changing hands and they all have aspects of the apocalypse about them. And they turn out to be fated weapons from throughout history that have taken a, a form appropriate to the time, always with the same things. And it's basically a big sort of action-adventure folk horror thing through sort of late uh, 19th century Americana. And okay. it's great. And it's got a fortune, like an eight-foot-tall fortune-telling mummy. So folk horror clearly has... Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was going to go off on a tangent about the apocalypse. The four horsemen thereof. Do we know much about the actual horses involved? Were they one, like... one of them is pale. Okay. But are they like inherently bad horses? They're just the horses they found in like, the apocalyptic stables? I, I don't know. Like... Horse, horses but tend to be... Nickham? Horses tend to be pretty loyal, don't they? So, I mean, when you see someone in a western who's dressed entirely in black and says, I'm going to fuck up your water supply and then touch you inappropriately... Their horse doesn't give a shit. No. They, they, it just sits there and runs. Their horse there is standing there smoking does... a cigarette, fucking looking down on the other horses. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I guess I don't know. All we really know is that one of them is very pale. Can horses and even Johnny do cocaine? And it. They just shouldn't. They've got big noses, but you'd have trouble getting it up there with a hoof. I mean, horses yeah, breathe true. best when they're moving at speed, so you'd sort of have to fling handfuls <laughs> of cocaine in front of them and they It'd would... It would waste, wouldn't it? 
Um, what if you designed a nose bag that kind of puffed it up there? Well, so they could be galloping s- along and then if like a recirculating. There's a special attachment you can get to stick up its nose. So you can pump the inhaler into it. So you can give them the cocaine that way. I like a horse control of the room. Like a, a horse cocaine rebreather. <laughs> yes, that's an option. A cocaine breathing bag for your horse. Yeah. How fucked up are the horses in Harrow County? Are they like really fucked up? Uh, there aren't many horses in there. Good segue though. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> um, there, are, there are one or two, but but not many. No, so Harrow County is a... Um, the, f- the opening couple of pages are the southernest gothic that Southern ever did gothic. It really it's, is. It's quite, quite special. Um, it, it, the, the, it, it begins, like, you've got this, this panel of these villagers looking up into the rain, and it just opens, the folk of Harrow County put the witch to death, but the witch did not die easily. And, and it just goes from there. It's um, it's wonderful. It's this slightly loose watercolor thing. It's not got the intricacy you sometimes get with a lot of um, watercolor comics. It's it's quite loose and simple. It gives a lot to the landscape. Um, story of well, the first volume is called Countless Haints. Um, I love Haint as a synonym for ghosts. Of course I do, you I do. do like that. Um, I'm keen. And it's I like Ghast myself. Oh, ghast is good. I'm a fan of Phantom. Classy, mm. bit yeah, French, yeah. bit too classy for me. I I like. I think I like my my horror Apparition? a bit more. Uh, oh, you like earthy? Yeah, yeah, I like. I like sort of earthy folklore. ghosts. Ghosts yeah. with boobs and stuff. They don't have ghosts. Boobs. Where did, where did earthy and boobs come in together? I don't know. Maybe I have some unchallenged assumptions in my head. <laughs> you know, but I'm just I'm just imagining like a kind of like like a kind of like a like slatter of a ghost. Wench yeah, ghost. yeah, yeah. It was just a nip slipping out kind of thing. Right. So, Countless Haints, the first volume of Harrow County. Good segue. Yeah, that wasn't a segue. It was just me not wanting to hear about ghost nipples. Um, is the story of. A uh, young girl, Emmy, living on a farm with her dad, uh, out in the country, in the shadow of this really creepy-ass tree. And it it, it doesn't mince any, any words. It, it starts with the townsfolk hanging this witch, uh, Hester Beck, who was a, a lady who came to town, started doing sort of folk healing stuff, but worshipped weird shit in the woods and got proper strange. Mm-hmm. Um, it had the sort of nature magic give and take thing, but eventually the village people sort of ran out of patience and the sacrifices proved too great and they were wild about her nobbing a goat demon in the woods. Yeah, villagers will be down on that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, they, they found it unseemly. Narrow-minded so, villagers. Yeah. And like that goat, the goat demon kind I of... I can't believe think, we let it pass that you said the village people. <laughs> <laughs> You think the goat demon might end up being sweet? It's kind of not, but there's a brief moment you think it might be a fun fake out where the goat demon's actually adorable. It's like it, a cute it, little kind of pan yeah, type thing it going isn't. on. Okay. It really isn't. No. But, um, so yes, they, they, they kill this witch who then promises that she'll come back, and basically there's this open question as to whether Emmy is the reincarnated witch, and as she approaches her, I think, 18th birthday, she starts to become a little magic. And it, it's, it's fairly standard, it's just a really well done one of those. Mm hmm. And, well, they try and kill her, she runs off, stuff happens, it goes down pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ends with a 
a cliffhanger of a sort of jazz. It's set in the twenties, thirties, sort mm-hmm. of jazz age city with a lady who looks a lot like Emmy, who claims that everything but that the world basically belongs to her and isn't it all going to be wonderful? So there's mm. clearly something strange going on. Interesting. That sounds it's, good. It, it's wonderful. It, it's um. I, it's got this, this this lovely again relatively simple painty style, um, a lot of beautifully intricate, sort of. That's a shitload of flaming skeletons. Yeah, there's a lot of flaming skeletons. A lot lot of flaming skeletons. Um, That thing that Southern Gothic really needs to have for some of the vibe, which is this sort of close press of woodland, the that kind of that feel of a dark, promising somehow almost alluring woodland. That kind of being lost in the woods needs to be both threatening and exciting. You get it in Wet Moon as well, the sort of mm, swampy mm, yeah. woods surrounding mm. the town. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, that, that sort of that mystical boundary where great or terrible things might yeah. happen, but you probably don't want to stay out. And Southern Gothic tends to come in wet and dry, right? You mm. get swampy or you get plantation-y. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes there's an interface of both. But either way, there's like stuff dripping down from the willow trees and it presses in. Old Civil War graveyards lost in the woods. It's got those plantation houses, mm-hmm. ruined barns, all of, all of that jazz. It's 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 ticking all the boxes, and it's got this adorable, horrible, horrible thing, which is um, the skinless boy, who is kind of a woodlands demon creature, but um, his skin is semi-animate, and Emmy keeps it in her handbag. Um, that sounds good. And that it sort sounds of good. it sort of talks to her. Okay. Um, so if you like that, it's worth reading the sixth gun. He's Colin Bunn is very very good at pacey and imaginative. Like a lot of stuff gets thrown at it very, very quickly, and it's fun. It's a fun time. No, I would. I, would, I mean, I'm, this was a very kind uh, Christmas gift, I believe, from Mr. Conroy. I'm a thoughtful motherfucker. Good God. And um, I'm probably going to pick up the rest. I think the second volume's out soon, isn't it? Um, or recently, or I don't know if the trade's out. The second volume's definitely running a singles mm. at the moment, but I think the trade might be a little while away. Mm. It's got a lot of art as well. There's a, it's quite a bulky first issue. It's Dark Horse. Uh, and there's a load of sketch work and character details and bits and pieces in the back. And the um, short story that it was going to be. So he was originally going to serialise it as a novel on his blog, I think. And It's interesting as process work. If you like process, there's some really great sketches and there's the, the short story bits, lots of alternate covers. Um, People love their alternate covers. The first issue is also available as a PDF um, online which we'll link to in the show notes mm. but yeah you've got a lot of kind of character development stuff and flaming skeletons he's showing again. us pictures from the book but you can't see it because it's the future radio and you might not be able to hear him because he's not facing the microphone because he's not. showing us the book he's showing it's, us it's, it's, it's a lovely thing good good Lucy hi what have you been reading well nothing for the podcast apart from the stuff for the theme this week the French. The French and the Belgians. Because we're not going to distinguish. Because I suspect it'll annoy both of them if we don't. Yeah, probably. We've kind of ruled out the Swiss. Yes. Did we? Yeah. Is that just because we couldn't be bothered discovering it? It's so that, it's so that you don't go on about Frederick Peters the whole fucking time. Oh, is he Swiss? Yeah. Oh, can I not talk about him? You can talk about him a bit, I uh, guess. Probably, I mean, I'm, yeah, All I was going to say was he's great. He's pretty yeah. good. He's, he's, he's pretty. Great. He does weird good. He's great and good in Swiss. Weird. Okay, a lot of great things are Swiss. Toblerone. 
Le yeah. Corbusier. They've got some great cheeses. Uh, nice lakes. Inter- sensible place namings. Interlaken. It's between the lakes. I mean, a lot of places are named like that. That's true. Like Cambridge is the bridge over the River Cam. True, but not everywhere. I don't, I don't, I don't like Zurich. That's fine. It's very expensive, and you probably have to like camp on the shore of a lake if you wanted to live there. Or was that? How did we manage to digress before Geneva? even having a topic? It's really <laughs> quite impressive. Um, I don't have a comic to talk about, but I do have a book to read to you from. Okay. You need to pick a letter of the alphabet and gender. Um, it's not okay. a trick question. Do I get to pick? Yeah. Um, female and the letter P. The letter P. Yeah. I think there might be some good percussive noises coming out of that. Hopefully. I chose that because I just backed a game uh, on Kickstarter that's set in Cornwall and it's set in the fictional town of Penfersey. So I'm hoping for something on that sort of level. So Lucy reads, um, reads to us now from Names for the Cornish. 300 Cornish first names. We begin with Pasca, a feminine form of the male name Pascal, deriving from the Cornish Pasque, meaning Easter. Would you guess? No. Really? No. no I wouldn't oh, really? Have, I wouldn't have guessed. Okay. I wouldn't know. This is because I speak Spanish. Yeah, probably. Sorry. Uh, we have Pesuera or Pezuera. Cornish That's pretty fourth. close. Pretty close. Peter Nell. Mm. Prudence, but with an S instead of a C-E. Mm. Prudence. And that's it for P's. Gotcha. Mm. Gender, let's... Oh, same thing. Um, N and internet. C. I'll go for dudes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for variety. Okay, internet we'll is not a gender, them. no matter what the people on that My Little for- Pony forum told you. Oh, The bronies lied to me. We start with the fascinating Nadelic, meaning Christmas Day. <sighs> maybe he's used a, it may have been used as a Cornish equivalent of Noel. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, we have yeah. Nerth, meaning strength. Isn't that Garfield's yeah. little mate? Are you thinking of Snarf? <laughs> I refuse to explain myself. <laughs> with regards to Garfield. And we have Noi. Which is Cornish for nephew. No, it's Cornish for German hard rock band. It's like <laughs> everything else. We're out of ends. We're out of ends. Yeah. Okay, well that concludes the Cornish name section of the podcast. Indeed. I've been reading some books too. Really? Yeah. Why? Because uh, I do a podcast about comics. and Really? Why? Um, I do two of them now. It's ridiculous. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, Are you in it for the mad chips? I just yeah. It's just it's the enormous amount of money and that, pussy. Yeah, and just respect. Yeah. It's the it's that that <laughs> you're triumph, drowning in that, respect. That triumvirate, <laughs> you know, that classic comics podcaster triumvirate of money, women, and respect. <laughs> I think I've confused this with drug dealing in the 80s. Possibly. Pimping. Yeah. yeah. So I read uh, I read The End of a Fence uh, by Roman Muradov, which is quite a weird little book. So it, it, it has uh, what, what would be quite a trite setup, which is that everyone in society is segregated by a sort of dating app style likelihood of match. Right. 
So there's no sitting on the fence and there's no offense. It's a pun in very much the same way his first book, In a Sense, Lost and Found, was a big, big oh, old pun. Guy. Nice <laughs> puns. Um, but it's not true because it's just bizarrely abstract in a way that appeals to me. And I showed it to Roger and he looked at, took one quick look at it and said, Lucy would shit herself if she tried to read this. It's almost entirely wordless. Oh, God. It's really abstract. Oh, God. Um, I've, been, I've been working on unpacking my visual processing problems recently. This I would was... set you back. <laughs> well, I, I got it looked up, difficult. I got up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet recently, and through the front window I go was on. very startled by something which turned out to be a post van parked in the lane opposite our house. But it just took me so long to piece together the sort of collection of light and shapes that was this post van in a dark lane that it was frightening to me and it took me a very long time to understand. There were a lot of... um, I was looking at some of the Tintin stuff with Dace. I won't spoil too much for later, but he was pointing out stuff that it just hadn't occurred to me. I see perspectives slightly differently to him. It's weird, anyway. Yeah, this but would, he's a this, visual artist, so... This, this would fuck you up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically 1920s, 1930s abstract expressionism with quite a lot of sort of glitch art and, mm. and pixelization. I hate that shit. I loved this book. <laughs> I, loved it. I loved his first book and I loved this one as well. Expressionism, it's, yes. Glitchy stuff sometimes together. Nope. It's okay. Dave liked I'm, it. Dave's allowed to like it. Yeah, I'm also really quite glad that just its very existence annoys Roger. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. I, I myself I create a, quite a lot of things that annoy Roger. I didn't say I was annoyed. You seem you seem irked. You might be confusing that with irksome. Yeah. Well, no, he can be both at once. He gives and receives. You've been a prize bellend this evening. I like to think so. I like to think so. I'm feeling sassy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I would highly recommend this book to anyone who likes... Books. Books in general, comics. It's just, it's there's, there's no one else who really does anything else like Miradov does right now. Um, and this is... It's quite small. All of the artwork's beautiful. And even if you struggle to follow the actual narrative... The individual images are absolutely beautiful. So every single thing is one page. There's no sort of panels within that. It's mm-hmm, a series mm-hmm. of single pages that can be taken on their own. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's no real distinct passage of time within it or anything like that. It's, it's hard to measure. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Good. So I read The Tane. Again. By Coleman O'Reilly. This is only the fourth version of the tale that I've read. <laughs> You're a man of modesty and reason. <laughs> How many have been comics? Two. Not bad. Two different translations and two comics. Did you listen to the December CP while you did it? I considered it. Okay. But it would have meant switching on iTunes because it's not on Spotify and I didn't really want to switch on iTunes. Fair. But this does also reveal that I've paid for it. Um... I've paid for it too. Yeah, I don't so, know with the Decemberist. So actually, that's five because I've, I've okay. got one concept album. Tell us about the comic. It's nice. I liked it. It's um, you would hope so on the fourth run through. Well, it's not not so much the story; just the artwork's great. Um, 
And the last one, uh, the last one that I read was that was Hound by Paul Bolger. Mm. Oh, that, that looks stunning. Three, and it's very, very different in style, mm-hmm. very stark. This is sort of big, fully painted, and and um, some sort of almost John Williams esque poster compositions on some of the pages. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff going on with how transitions are framed and things like that. Um, the book's designed as a sort of teaching tool, almost, um, for for learning Irish. So there's a translation mm-hmm. on the website that it, that it comes from, which is labar.com or books.com. Books.com. Yeah. Good website. Yeah, I thought so. I thought that was a good name. It still took me fucking ages to find because, you know, it's in Irish, but... I saw a cereal um, packet today that was advertising Sainsbury's ebooks on the back, and at the top it said "advertorial feature." I mean, that I probably doesn't really need to be clarified, given that it's a cereal and not a form of literature. Indeed. I mean, I suppose, like, if you had alphabet cereal pieces, it could be, but it would be by accident. Alphabet cereal, the ebook. You've got to command. You've got to command those marketing verticals. You do. You really have to do that these days. We are fucking Dadaist today. This is. <laughs> well, I feel when I open my mouth, like what I'm saying is going to be connected to something else, and then by the end of it, I'm like, nope, nope, not that time. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Um, if you feel like learning Irish through the nope. medium of, nation, no, it's an extremely complicated language, and no one speaks it. Um, I would if I weren't already learning several other languages. Yeah, I'd recommend this. I'll put it on the list. Okay. Um, I liked it a lot. It was really, really beautifully illustrated book. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. hard to read because I don't speak Irish. Mm-hmm. I could read the words on the front cover, which was... That's good. Anne, Tane, and then the author's name. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, I got it. Red Sex Criminals as well. Sex Criminals is back. Yay! Yay. It's fucking dataist. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this issue is great. There's just a protracted sequence in which the authors sit and talk to one another because they don't know how to do one of the scenes and they explain what it's going to do and why that's hard to write. And, oh God. I can it's, imagine that. It's, it's kind of a dick move, but they handle it so well. It's really, really great. It's basically Matt Fraction having a nervous breakdown while Chips Adarsky's getting more and more rich in the corner. And it's... Um, <laughs> You can really do that quite, if you're those guys. It's really quite strange. I think I think I would trust them to do that. Yeah, I think after this point, they've they've sort of earned it. It's not a it's not an issue one move, but it's yeah. it's probably an issue sixteen move. Yeah. Do they do they then go on to do the scene, or have they entirely obviated it? No, no, no. That's that's it. They've they've done it yeah. at that point. It's similar to the thing with the Queen stuff and the post-it notes earlier on. Mm. They 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 handle it in a completely obfuscated fashion uh, it's still great and from the latest pages people are still getting a lot out of it which is nice mm, good they've introduced asexuality as a concept good within the comic splendid like I think it already existed yeah, yeah it wasn't on them to yeah. reveal it to humanity yeah well it seems to have been to a lot of people in small towns um People are mirroring their experiences, and it's nice. It is nice. They write in to those people for support, 
which is terrifying. And actually, now that I think about it, my skin crawls because imagine being in that situation. Yeah. But these being, guys are your best hope. Yeah. Being oh. emotionally imagine it's diffraction and asking. Yeah. Oh God, no, Captain Awkward is who you want in that situation. Mm-hmm. She's a really good advice blogger. She's one of the most enlightened and sensible people that I read. It's a good name as well. Yeah. A lot of, lot of in-jokes on the site at this point, a lot of sort of shared language with the community, which can mm. be maybe a little off-putting but, to new people. But, but fucking solid advice. Totally deconstructs, mm. like, shoulds and gender roles and mm. a bunch of the things that people unexaminedly believe are expected of them that actually just aren't at all. All that mm. stuff. All the good stuff. Sorry, so sort of like the us of sociology blogging, just yeah, like in jokes and between her and Mallory as dear Prudy, I feel like things are doing really well in the advice column world at the moment. Mallory Ortberg is oh, doing yeah. advice. Yeah, for Slade, it's amazing. That does. No, she's really, really good. Apparently, somebody wrote in to say that their friend has a cat, and the friend puts ear protectors on their cat and puts the cat in a mesh bag and takes the cat to raves with them. You should read that one. It's good. What? I think I would. I would kind of want to get that cat help, but yes. also the idea of Rave Kitty is cute and fun. Is, is kind of great. Is it a cat that has, like, is it a cat with with socks for paws? Like, does it have white little white paws? Because then it would look like it was already wearing gloves. Wouldn't the UV thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I would hope great. so. I love me socks anyway. I find this weirdly compelling, even though I suspect it's probably cruel. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. I think, well, nobody nobody from sort of the letter writer and the advice columnist both gave it the side eye, but it was along the lines of, I don't think this is a thing that you can really affect. Yeah. Your influence here is limited. If you want to take a cat to rave, just going to take a cat to rave. Yeah. I mean, having a cat to rub on your face on E would be pretty great. I think it would claw you a lot. Yeah, but you wouldn't mind... Had a friend who did a load of mushrooms and had a pillow fight with another friend. At least they thought it was a pillow fight. They woke up six hours later covered in bleeding scratches. Had not pillows. They hit each other with cats. They were just clawing each other, I think, by the end of it. Drugs, kids, don't do them, probably. Unless you really want to. Unless you really want to, in which case, well, no one's going to stop you. Let's be honest, your mum can't, the police probably can't. If you're white... It's true. Oh, God, yeah, sorry. Sorry about the privilege I assumed. I'm assuming our listeners are. I don't think we're drawing a very diverse crowd. Tell us if we're wrong. Yeah, please. We want to hear from you. Maybe we'd like to draw one. Maybe we could be less assholes in some way we're unaware of. Yeah. But it's I not think, on I you think to point that we out need to, to We need to work on all the ways that we are aware of the, how we are assholes. <laughs> like talking I've, about a load of random old I've shit that's not the podcast. I start we've, fires. We've talked about four comics so far. We've done pretty well. That's almost one every ten minutes we've been recording at this <laughs> point. I moved here from Canada and I think I'm slow, <laughs> eh? What else have you read, Mr. Gomery? No, that's it. We're not talking anymore. Yeah. So today we're talking about French comics and possibly Belgian comics and as we've discussed, not the Swiss. Sorry, the Swiss. And this is kind of a broad intro for us because I think while we're all reasonably well-read, we've read a ton of the cinebook stuff. I think mm-hmm. most of us grew up reading Asterix and Tintin. I didn't. 
But two thirds of us did. Yeah, most of us. That's fine. Like mathematically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm mm. sticking with it. Yeah. So there's, there's this whole bon Desnay and sort of just general. Oh, the ninth art. Yeah. Tradition that we scraped at a little, I guess. Um, in the same way as at some point we'll do a, a podcast on manga, it won't be that. There's no way that could definition like it just that couldn't be the. It would be us introducing ourselves to manga. It would be three idiots learn about a thing, and I, I think this is this is it, it's sort of a bit of that, isn't it? We we decided to go and read a bunch of revisit a bunch of stuff, that. read a bunch of stuff. At least one yeah. idiot was introduced to this thing. Well, I think and that was me. The um, the main thing is while while we've had like little bits here and there, like Asterix and Tintin have always been popular here. In a really Things weird like way, Lucky Luke have been available, mm. but now there's just a much broader. Uh, wealth of French comics starting to appear and that's in part down to companies like Cinebook who mm. publish a lot of the sort of short form album style books and I would argue the general to people like that mm, as well yeah. the general rising popularity popularity of non-superhero mm. comics over the last few years has just created a broader market and Yes, it's great that I can read yeah. about pirates that didn't have to come from this country. Yeah. Um, like, figuring out the Long John Silver stuff was French. I was like, oh, hey, there's probably a whole untapped market of things I would enjoy that I just didn't know about. Now I can go and read them. Isn't yeah. it lovely? And things like uh, Miss Don't Touch Me. Yes. Which is, you know, utterly delightful and kind of weird. And yeah, there's a load of, there's a load of cool stuff that is starting to appear in, in translation just as, as the market gets broader. And... Yeah. There's always, there's always been little bits and pieces, but it's becoming more mainstream. Like, you can buy it in Waterstones now. Yeah. Uh, and that's really cool. Basically, we've been meaning to cover this for a while, and I think, sort of serendipitously, you just end up with a big old bag of it. Yeah, um, my partner's mum turned up at the door the other day with a big bag of Tintin and Asterix, and I was like, oh, cool, thanks. Handy. Yeah. And you've also been, yeah, as you say, you've been reading Long John Silver. I have. Well, do you want to start us off? Because you've, you've got some terrifying-looking notes on Tintin. I do. So, um... I can read the words, Captain Haddock is an alcoholic from here. With anger issues is the second line. (laughs) It's true. Coming in with the home truths here. Um, So I started off with uh, Cigars of the Pharaoh, which Roger's also read, which I think we would broadly characterise as total fucking bollocks. Absolute shite. Incoherent mess. Um, So it was one of the first ones that was kind of collected meant to be a longer story arc and it very much feels like someone who's not used to writing a big plot yet there's a lot of very short interludes that don't hang together massively yeah well. i mean i think of it as the first post-racist tintin and it's still hella racist oh god they're both racist there was i the depiction of black people in both tintin yeah. and asterix was oh, just horrifying the pirates in asterix uh, is problematic yeah, there was a slave in Rome as well, and it just made yeah. me feel extremely mm. uncomfortable. Um, I've got more of a problem with it in Tintin than I do in Asterix. Tintin is a... Sorry, in Asterix, the Asterix is a lot later. Yeah. And you might plausibly expect it to be a bit more switched on. Tintin, you know, a Belgian dude in the 1930s drawing horrifying colonial representations of black people. No, it's not good, but it is more in line with the mirror of the period. Yeah. Belgian imperialism was a strange but powerful motivating factor in in art and definitely coloured a lot of the early Tintins. Fuck you, Leopold. Yeah. He was an angry man who wanted a lot of Africa. Yeah. Well, he didn't didn't really manage it for very long, so... Nope. Or a lot of it, to be honest. No. Um, 
So the first thing, not the first thing that struck me, one thing that struck me about Tintin, Tintin is a fucking terrible journalist. Yes. So he's, a, he's like, oh, I'm Tintin, I'm a reporter. Every time there's an opportunity for reportage, either a newspaper account of his exploits, or sometimes they just bring in another fucking journalist to write about the whole thing. It's like, yeah. he was so good at this. But you don't, he also doesn't use it as good cover. So it's not like, oh, I'm a journalist, that's why I'm going around the world. It's like, I happen to be a journalist, but I'm a shit journalist, and the cover I'm using is something totally random yeah. anyway. It's, so one of the things that struck me tremendously about it is um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a huge resemblance to um, Bond, mm-hmm. which I will, I will come back to. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that James Bond is a genuinely terrible spy, yes. Tintin is just the worst journalist. He really is. Um, well, I mean, he is a child. Yeah, why is he even working as a journalist? Like, he sometimes thinks that his dog is talking. His, no, his, his, his dog, his dog is that. talking. But sometimes Snowy's completely quiet, and sometimes he's not. That's true. But it's, it's odd. Um, it varies from, from volume to volume. The, the next thing I made a note of after Terrible Journalist was a big box of heroin, which is how yes. the plot starts, which I thought was an interesting opener. Right. It's a... Uh, it's a, sort of loosely about... It's a, quite different to Tintin on the Moon there. It is, There's yeah. There's heroin in that. It's a sort of... The meta plot is meant to be about a big drug gang who get busted and all their opium gets taken away, but there's sort of quite a lot of heroin going on in mm. the meantime. There's also... A box of heroin. There's a bit at the end where um, the guy who's sort of in charge of the local place is explaining why he wants to eradicate these drug dealers and he's talking... It's just two panels of pure text... Oh, really straightforwardly talking about the ills of the drug trade. It's like, I don't mind you trying to educate me, you fucking Nancy Reagan, whatever, but like, don't do it like that. Don't waste two panels on the prose. The panel text density is... Well, it's... Sorry, carry on. No, 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 that's fine. The next thing I wrote was emotional depth of a book written to help children learn about basic emotions. <laughs> Which might be unfair. And Lord knows I could use that book. But that's kind of how it felt right? as a reader. Um, he goes through a very visually boring desert. I don't know if that's relevant. It's, it's not so an interesting desert one, at one all. One of the things that's interesting about... Um, so Tintin is... like The main stuff is about 1920 a bit. To 29, I think, to about 1980, maybe 70-something. Mm-hmm. And across that period, you've basically... Well, so much of the recognisable... It's most of the 20th fucking century, and it's a lot of the... The non... It's basically all of the pre-internet change. Yes. Um, But more than that, it's all of the... Or a large chunk of the modernisation of comics as a medium. Mm -hmm. And you can just watch it play out in Tintin. So the, the black and white, scratchy, jingoistic, racist shite that predates main, like, main, main Tintin... Mm -hmm. It is what it is. It's, yeah. It's a yeah. But thing the time. the early the early color stuff, starting from cigars of the pharaoh and then moving on. So it, it, it just the trajectory across between you, you took the perfect slice, which is cigars of the pharaoh. Skip Blue Lotus because it winds up the plot, but you don't need to. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Black Isle is a bit better, mm-hmm. but then the the seismic the leap between um, Legend of the Unicorn, which is basically plotted, 
It's got something yes. approximating a plot. Yes, it does. Um, he's learned a bit more about backgrounds, learned a bit more about panel composition. Yep. But they're still far too text-heavy. It's still all of Tintin, even the late stuff is still far too expository. The colouring's nicer, the font's yeah. nicer, the lettering's nicer. It, it's, you've got this, and that's ten years, I think? Maybe a bit less? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Sixers of the Unicorn and Red Rackham are, I think, early to mid-40s. Yeah. So maybe a little, yeah, and it's um, you can just you can watch the medium change it, it, it this mm-hmm. kind of maturing thing. So he, it feels tremendously like he begins as a guy that can draw and hasn't really understood what, well, sequential art is only just really finding its feet mm-hmm. in a way that we'll understand unless you count some of the super early stuff. Um, yeah. Also, Tintin has tiny, tiny little ankles compared to later. Yeah. In the early it's ones. Not running, you it think? was weird. He's a spindly man. True, but even these were probably a third of the girth of his wrists. I don't like his trousers. That's fine. You don't have to. Really addressing the big issues here. Um there's they go to an ancient tomb. Hmm. There's a hinge on the door. There's lots of hinges <laughs> in the tombs, like modern looking hinges. And the pharaoh troubling. is called Kiosk, which I, I, I thought, I thought it was just asterisks that was hung off so many puns. I, I'd forgotten how many puns there were in Tintin. I, yeah, I mean, asterisks is pun heavy, mm-hmm. and honestly, one of the best things about asterisks is the, the care and attention that has been put into translating those puns. Some mm-hmm. of which are even better. Wait, mm-hmm. dogmatics is. It's 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 an it's got an extra layer in English. Mm, Get a fix, which I didn't realise when I was young and reading yeah. Asterix was a massive drug reference, um, but I do now. Thirty-four years old. That's Finally good. got that joke. That's good. Just now. That's good. Not just now. I got it last night when I read it for the first time, but I was an adult when I read it for the first time. So yeah. There you go. Also, I've done a lot of drugs. And you talked about it in a slightly old-fashioned way. Yes. Getting a fix in the reefer madness and so yes, on. Yes, the reefer madness. Yes, a stick of tea. <sighs> mm. um, yeah, so, so one of the... I actually think, kind of plot-wise, Cigars of the Pharaoh felt a lot like bedknobs and broomsticks, in that it's just a bunch <laughs> of random... <laughs> Stupid fucking shit. ...fucking vignettes sewn yeah. together. And Angela Lansbury saves the day. Oh, let's hope so. I love Ange. A shout out for all my Murder She Wrote fans out there. Nice. Yeah, my sister's got the tote bag, Murder She Tote, in the font from the show. Oh. It's a good bag. No, it isn't. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of, particularly in the older ones. There's a lot of extremely good, about which I mean bad lines of dialogue. I'll shoot you, naughty thing. <laughs> Stood out. That's what I think of your soup. That was good. It's it's got these weird declarative. I think they're meant to be sort of comedy zingers or something. It's yeah, like dramatic. magic rope. Obey your master. Yeah, that was my favourite. It sounds like a dick thing. Weird, <laughs> weird dramatic lines that are, that get mixed up in the slapstick. The the tone is all over the shop. He at the end, he's he's like, well, we saved the day and everything's fine. And he's like, well, what do I do with my two friends who went mad during the course of this adventure? It's like, it's fine, we'll just take them back to the asylum. And that's the last panel, them going off in an ambulance. Because early 20th century mental health care was Tip-top. so nice. Tippity-top. Um, yes, yeah, so that was weird. So um, Secret of the Unicorn and Red Rackham were a lot better, mm-hmm. generally. Um I was slightly frustrated 
elements of the portrayal of things for you know the 17th century journal of Sir Francis Haddock, Captain Haddock's great ancestor, mm-hmm. is beautifully bound and preserved, and I don't even know who my fucking granddad is. That's not really their fault. That's not her just. No, fault. But it, no, but it's just one of those. I don't believe anything's actually that well preserved from that long ago. If we can't find out what happened in like 1958, but aren't like Captain Haddock's family are a bunch of rich lunatics. They That's have, true. They would have the means. That's true. I've got a bunch of books from 1925. That's fine. Yes. Do you know who my granddad is? Not unless he happened to write it in one of those books. <laughs> have you checked? No. Inconsiderate. An important pirate exclaims, at what booty? There's lots of mention that's of booty. A, I mean, that's, that's a problem with pirate representation in general these days. It's true, it's true. Mm. Snowy gets drunk in this one. Yes. And in the Black Island, so it's a running oh God. joke. Snowy, oh God. In the Black the Island, Snowy floating around him. drinks yes. a bit of whiskey and really likes it. And Tintin gets super fucking judgy about it. Oh, jeez, Tintin, back yeah, off. Yeah, he's, he's like really harshing Snowy's it's fucking mellow. hard living with you. You're kind of yeah. all over the place. Yeah, like Let the Tintin, man have a drink. Tintin is a fucking mess, and Snowy needs to kick back. There's a guy who burns himself on the arse with a magnifying glass. Oh, yeah. It might be Haddock, is I can't remember. It's one of the Thompsons. Thompsons? Yes, no, it is one it's of the Thompsons, you're right. Thompsons. Actually, right. it could be anyone, really, couldn't it? A lot of people people get constant head injuries in yeah. Tintin. I don't know how anyone has mental function left. And like severity of head injury correlates to like number of stars and candles around your head. I was reading a book on Tintin a few years ago which was about sort of the way the way that things are coded, the way that clues work in Tintin and the way that uh, encapsulation works um, and how it relates to Hergé's Identity and his obsession with himself as the sort of last heir of some royal house mm. and, and uh, sort of the the encoding of his past and all of this and very very big and very clever and at one point it, it does like just Wallace. does oh yeah yeah but it's you know it's it's someone's thesis publishes a book essentially mm. but at one point it does just go to an aside how anyone ever solves all of this when they're constantly getting concussed is a mystery <laughs> so. Even but, even in the most dry academic readings of Tintin, people notice the head wounds. Yeah, it's, it's that weird cartoony violence as well, with no slapstick twenty four seven with no consequences. Yeah, mm. and, but yeah, weirdly, when Tintin beats Lunatic someone up, it's always off page. Well, not always, but often. Like if he hits someone with a plank or it's something visibly slapstick, mm. it's on page. But if he's just if he's just punching some dude, mm. and there are so few women. In I know, um, where are all the women who aren't old ladies and dowagers and wives? Yeah. Although I did love the bit where he's waiting for the phone booth mm. and an old lady was hiding inside with her little tiny dog from the rain. Mm. <laughs> that was nice, the dog was cute. Sorry. No, no, that was all I was going to go. It's, it's, um, I think it's part of the tone being all over the place. In the, it's useful to remember this was a newspaper strip. Mm, yes. Mm. In a very early Defontienne, uh, the kids, uh, Belgian kids newspaper. And, and it, you know, that's where it began. It's very clearly rooted to that. It's got the talking to kids about issues thing in places. Mm-hmm, like there's mm-hmm. a bit there's sort of a sort of look to the reader After section in The Blue Lotus where he's talking about racial stereotypes. Fucking Hergé is complaining about racial stereotypes. Okay. You don't get to do that. A page later, he draws a bunch of ridiculous, squinty, buck-toothed Japanese people, and I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. It's like, it's proper, some of my friends are black. It's, uh, oh, I mean, at, at that point, I mean, when he was writing Blue Lotus, a 
friend of his who had been a minister in China tried to get him to talk to some Chinese people so mm. that he wouldn't make a horrible misrepresentation. Mm. Um, and and so he did, and he tried, but apparently Japan was fair game. No, it, it, it's 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 not that he wasn't trying. <laughs> different it's, Asians, it's all right. It was so very earnest, but. It, it, it's, it's a wonderful window into a different era's attempts at being progressive, like bits mm-hmm. of Tintin mm-hmm. are quite progressive by the standards of the time, and yet a bunch of really iffy representation was still totally okay. Yeah, I mean, Cigars of the Pharaoh in particular is full of extremely, like, like balls-out caricature angry foreigners yeah, all of the many time. stripes. Yes, all of them mm. inaccurately racially characterised. And yet, occasional flashes of attempted sensitivity. It's, it's really interesting as a historical artifact mm. for that. And, and again, the progression, it sort of it gentles back as, as, the, as the corpus goes on. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the newspaper sort of slapsticky heritage, and I think that's where some of the, the plotting stuff comes from. Which mm. it, it, I don't know how, I can't remember exactly how it was serialised, but it kind of feels like a page with a single unit. Yeah. A lot of the pages of the early ones, certainly when it's less plot centric, have almost like a gag structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, and you get repeated chunks of that yeah, gag yeah. set up and combination. I think, I think Tintin in the Land of the Soviets and Tintin in the Congo could actually have been three panel mm. um, strips originally. And yeah, it's it it all kind of falls away as it as it matures a bit and as he gets a bit more interested in well, sort of rollicking mysteries and what have you. Mm. But the heritage of things like Indiana Jones, and I genuinely think Bond, there's a lot of stuff in early Bond, like chases on trains and yeah. the globetrotting stuff. They have yeah. a pretext to go globetrotting, have a very thin plot. Most of your main, your core plot is basically a chase because you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. There's a conspiracy you don't Mystery understand. Mystery and intrigue, yeah. You go and aggravate someone responsible until something cracks. It, it, I think it, a lot of Tintin feels a lot like early Bond. It's plausible. And the eras tie up. Like, Fleming was a fucking parasite. And Willoughby was writing it. No, he, like, he was this like, absolute rancid, self-absorbed, privileged fuckstain. Mm. And I'm was not going to... with Edward VIII, or am I making that up? I can't remember. I'm not going to do my Ian Fleming rank, but go and read Simon Winder's book, um, The Man Who Saved Britain, which should, the first chapter is basically Ian Fleming was a cunt. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he just grabbed what he could from pop culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I was. I think the the character I enjoyed the most was definitely Captain Haddock. He's. I saw a lot of bit of complexity similarity actually between him and Roast Beef. Mm. They're both from, dudes from, who, Acewood. from Acewood. They're both good dudes who mean well who sabotage themselves a lot. <laughs> um, my favourite quote of his was, "Here's a coconut to cut your cackle, iconoclasts." He said it to some parrots as he threw a coconut at them. <laughs> Iconoclasts. Jesus, that reminds me of the guy I saw in um, Donegal who was just yelling at a greengrocer's. I mean, he just was just screaming. Not, not at someone whose job was yeah, a greengrocer, yeah, yeah, yeah. like sure. at the actual building yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was he screaming? Uh, he was screaming quite a lot of stuff about being judged by the greengrocer's display, but he finished it off with the phrase... I might well be drunk, but in the morning I shall be sober and you'll still all be fucking cabbages. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Churchill would be proud. Yeah, some really quite stunning wordplay for a man that could barely stand up and was yelling at a, you know, fairly, fairly basic grocery shop <laughs> in Donegal. 
<laughs> inoffensive grocery. So, um, this was, was this your first exposure to attention? This was my first serious exposure to attention. Was there a TV show? Yes. yes. I have watched bits of it in that case. So, I have a... a was, there was a TV show of Asterix as well. There's some films of Asterix. But not a TV show. Not a TV show. So, the, the Tintin TV show was on a lot in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I remember it. I it remember was watching faithful. Asterix TV yeah. show, but I probably didn't in that case. And it was done in a sort of retro um, style as well. It was done mm. as though it was a, a sort of cinema serial. Yeah. It started with the man bellowing, Hershey's Adventures of Tintin. I remember that very clearly. Mm. No, I, cause I, I, I read it as a kid. Mm. Uh, when I was probably far too young to understand quite a lot mm. of it and then hadn't touched it since so this was almost like coming to it fresh and mm-hmm. I was just sort of reeling by how different it was to the thing I particularly how fucking incoherent a lot of it was it's interesting I found myself wishing actually that I'd read it as a child partly because I'd have some nice fond nostalgic memories mm. now and partly because I think I would have responded to it a lot less critically then and enjoyed it a lot mm. more I feel almost like I'm too old to like stuff like this at this point I don't know it was it was interesting but it's not it's not part of my sort of childhood magical fantasy structure it's not something I sort of bathe in in the way that you do stuff that you loved when you were a kid one of the things that really struck me was um, it's it's interesting to be reminded of how how unsophisticated a reader you can be as a child Mm. so um, I had no concept that anything I was reading might not be contemporary unless the book was the physical book was really old. Fascinating. So it just—I'm talking as quite a young yeah, kid yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But so I, I, I lapped this stuff up, and God knows what I made of it. But it, it wouldn't it hadn't even occurred to me that it hadn't—you know—it wasn't written by a, a now person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that it must have seemed a bit odd—I I don't know how I processed that or how I did it and get on with it. But it must—I don't remember it jarring, so it must not have. But then again, I read quite a lot of things from different mm-hmm, periods mm-hmm. and I only really thought about things as being old if the if the books were visibly old. Mm. Something something I struggled with coming at it as an adult was the almost total lack of irony. Mm. There's it's it's all that kind of wink and smile punning and ha ha yes, it's, it's very not, there's no archness, there's no Exactly, pose. there's no malice at all. And there's no what well, there's no <laughs> And the worst villains in the world can be dealt with by hitting them with a plank and tying them up. Mm. Yeah. And then solving whatever. And a big box of heroin. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some really heavy stuff just off off view as well. Yeah. So the horrifying consequences of the um, sort of the, the massive flooding of Asia with opium, mm-hmm. for example, just some of the knock-on effects of the stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is the caper with mustachio twiddling white guys doing stuff but actually the massive personal fallout and economic stuff it's just, it's just a romp it's, there's no it's, it's represented in that very bland two panels from the guy in charge yeah, saying yeah, what yeah. devastating things it's wreaked on his country but there's no there's no way of making that emotional or real it's I guess it's it's pre any kind of meaningful sociological or ethical engagement with the consequences of crime <laughs> yeah consequences of crime you get hit in the face with a saucepan yeah and you jolly well learn your lesson. And your friends go to the asylum and everything's fine. Fine, fine, fine. So, Hart, you were reading Asterix for the first time. Yeah, I kind of... All my friends had it at boarding school and I bounced off it. I don't know, maybe it was because I decided that... And again, I sort of... There was a period before the 
mass availability of American comics, but after the broad strokes demise of things like The Eagle or whatever, where there wasn't a lot doing by way of British comics if you were a kid. Mm. Like, 2080 was running, but it probably wasn't you quite were too for young. you. Yeah. And so the comics that your parents would let you have were Tintin and Asterix, and you kind of therefore mentally thought of them as, as broadly the same thing, mm-hmm. despite, you know, Asterix is, what, 60, not very much, to 80-something? To a contemporary, it's still going. Oh, yes, of course. Um, Fascinating. Although one of the dudes died. Yes, uh, and uh, which one? and the most recent one was handed over, uh, Alfred Adezzo, yeah. or René Gosconi, I, I actually don't remember. One, hey, one, one of them died. Um... Yeah, so, again, one of those things where it just hadn't occurred to me as a kid that they were somehow meaningfully, like, they were so different. Or something. Yeah. This is this is comics, which I vaguely understand to be sort of French. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I bounced... Vaguely historical setting. Yeah, I bounced off Asterix at the time. And coming back to it, I was just delighted. It's much more coherently plotted than Tintin. Like, again, it's later, and it's, it's mm-hmm. visibly later, so the colouring is weirder, the style is more flexible. Mm-hmm. It's slightly arch. It's very heavily based on puns. So I sort of had the opposite reaction. I didn't. I only read um, Asterix and mm-hmm. the Gladiator, which is a fairly early one, but it, it stank too much of that kind of 60s, 70s archness and puns, and yeah. I really don't like that style of humour, and I don't know why. It, I don't know, it's... I don't usually. Um, I don't know. Something just charmed me a little. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get past that. Felt like a really thick smear, and what I wanted was a decent mm. historical story without that. It's kind of smug, isn't it? Yeah. The sort of look to camera, ho ho. It's got that kind of almost carry on movie thing. Exactly, and I fucking hate that style of humor. Well, I don't on, find it funny at all. The carry on films are some of the worst things in the physical universe, but um, Asterix for a start just felt kinder. Yes, I think I think I should have given it a go mm. with something a bit later, probably as mm. well. It was, it, I mean, Gladiator was I think number four or yeah. so, still finding its feet. I mean, I read Asterix the Gaul, um, Asterix Cleopatra, um, the Goths, and one of the other ones, mm-hmm. uh, which are again, they're all very they're early. quite early. Mm. But it's it's um, it is that stuff. It is that carry onish, ha ha, mm. jab in the ribs. Um, I, 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 that it is kind, it's warm. I quite like some of the asides, but again, some of them were obnoxiously smug. Mm. So the thing where it um, shows a bunch of pictographs and says Egyptian swear words, which we can't translate. Um, sorry, a Gaulish swear words, which we mm. won't translate, and then um, Egyptian swear words, and then which we translate into Gaulishes, and then show the <laughs> pictograms. And it's got a lot of language jokes, mm-hmm. like it mucks mm-hmm. around with Latin declensions. Yeah. Um, I found the slightly smug stuff, the language jokes I found, they were... Smug to the point of being intrusive, like they broke the narrative. Particularly with the naming conventions yeah. and stuff. But they found them funny. Whereas I just found them off-putting. I don't know. This is. I think it's, it's a very a fundamental. Like, if you like that kind of thing, it's going to be great for you. It turns out I don't. It's what what annoyed me, kind of from a modern perspective, is something that behaved like that these days would be more consistently metafictional. Mm-hmm. The fourth wall would be in tatters from start to finish, mm-hmm. um, and it would do something with it. Yeah. Whereas this kind of the authorial, not authorial voice, the the observational voice mm. intrudes periodically but doesn't necessarily achieve very much. Uh, there's a fairly rote way that it happens. It's there at the very beginning and then there's a feast at the end at which yeah. point that voice returns. Yeah. And there's occasional... Interjections and things. Dottings yeah. of it here and there. Mm. Uh, but there, there are places where it's, it's like teetering on the brink of this, of becoming this, of, of metafictional awareness. Like things like where Asterix is standing on the border and it's dotted like a map and there are <laughs> signs. And I'm like... It, 
this 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 could have been weird Gallic Deadpool, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, that is so far from how I would have described it, but it's an interesting approach. You know what I mean, though. Knowingly fictional, knowingly assembled. Sure. Mm. One thing I really like about it is that it's sort of taken that very uh, similar similar approach to the life of Brian in that there's a sort of national pride in there that the, the, the French are fighting back against the Romans, but the Romans aren't inherently bad either. Mm. Um, they're not sort of monstrous bad guys. They're just turning up being Roman shit and doing Roman shit. And Caesar in they're particular kind of is a worthy. reasonable they're, they're guy. Just, right. Yeah, they're bureaucrats. Yeah. Mm. Um, more than anything, it um, it fascinated me as well that it's been culturally at least lumped in with sort of Tintin and some of the other well, the sort of BD stuff. But if you look at a lot of the cinebook stuff, not all of it by any means, but a mm. lot of the cinebook stuff has that kind of lean Claire thing going on. Yeah. Um, for the better or worse, so orbital, I would not describe it as lean Claire, but it is very clipped. It is quite. There are these big expansive vistas and weird space stuff, mm-hmm. but the character line work is very precise. Mm-hmm. The panels are often quite small. It doesn't do a lot of very exciting mise en page. Mm-hmm. So if you look at something like Sandman Overtures, which is just the page composition is part of the delight of it. A lot of this is very regimented. Yeah. There, are, there are some things, some things that might broadly a bit on a good, very cliché day characterise Paul Desenet and yes. some of the, a lot of the cine book has at least stuff, has a little bit, at least some of it. Yes. Asterix is barely like that at all. The colours are all over the shop. The line work's kind of fidgety. Sometimes page composition does something interesting, but not very often. It's, I think it's, it's sort of like... It's similar to Peanuts in that way, that mm-hmm. it's its own thing and you can tell when it's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much its own thing. The only thing I can sort of think that looks even vaguely like it is some Willie Rushton cartoons from um, the 70s or 80s. And I found myself really thinking with the Tintin stuff that I wish I wish it had had some ability to redigest some of the more modern stuff um, and do some page composition work. So occasionally Tintin will just break into a usually third, maybe half-page panel. They're so rare. It's so rare that it strays beyond these small grids. They're not super regular, but it's small. Mm. Like, it's it's not a grid exactly, but it's lots of small panels, lots of tiny moments, often completely fucking obscured by an exposition speech bubble. Um, an exposition speech bubble, which was made for the language it was translated out of as well. Mm. A lot of them are quite ill-fitting in the yeah. early stuff. Um, but sometimes there'll be a giant panel, often quite a simple one, that just shows off how fucking good he was as a draftsman or as a mm-hmm. kind of as rendering a landscape. I thought, it, it, it's a pity this didn't do that kind of thing more mm-hmm. often. A lot of the early stuff did get reworked, but it was reworked over you know, mm. the existing stuff. There was, mm. there was very little opportunity to really heavily redraw it. Mm. Um, Whereas for Asterix, you don't really... It's not sweeping landscapes or whatever. It's occasionally a forest. The joy is the, the sort of facial expressions and the antics. Mm. Mm. I love Asterix. I didn't get a chance to reread any of it before we did this, and I would have been interested to see if my uh, reaction to it had changed at all. Um, so I will try and reread some and, and update you on that. You mentioned exposition as being a thing, and it's something that I noticed because I've, I've been reading sort of quite a range of the Cinebook stuff and, and quite a broad range of French comics. Such particular. a burden for Cinebook. Me too. This, the exposition, tons and tons of do. just prose exposition seems to be a thing that's really it's quite common. It's quite bad even in Orbital, which I think is one Orbital of the best was of the worst, sci-fi ones. For worst offender, Orbital just has those thick strips uh, of expository yeah. text mm. across so, it. Chimpanzee as complex. panel borders. 
Chimpanzee Complex, Ooh. which is the worst book, barely does it at all because it really gets the media res mystery thing. I think um, Orbital, so Orbital is about uh, humanity joining this uh, vast uh, array of spacefaring aliens and a human and an alien from a race they've been at war with until recently being put together on a diplomacy team um, to go and... Uh, it's Mass Effect. It's Mass Effect. It's Mass Effect. Um, well, Mass Effect is it. Yes, yes, this came first. Um and there's a lot of world building that just doesn't need to be done, but it's there in expository text. Like, mm. so you'll something will turn up and it'll say, these aliens are this, this, and this. And it doesn't enhance the book. It doesn't enhance the flow of the narrative. There's less of that as it goes on, but still some. Yeah. But this, I, I only read the first volume, but there is just an absolute ton of it that, mm. you, that could have been conveyed in other ways. I found it. Show-tell violations coming out the wazoo. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. beautiful, though. Um, Thirteen, the spy comic is is quite bad for that in a lot of places as well, where you would think it's a mystery. The guy washes up with no identity. There, there, there could be a lot more just done through the story. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not as bad as Orbital, but it's still quite obvious. Long John Silver again does quite a lot of yeah, it's, exposition. it's text dense. For a lot of this, I just find myself wanting to yell, trust the reader, and you know. You're a fucking cartoonist, maybe less space with words. I don't know, as, as, a, as a reader of comics who's very reliant on words and doesn't necessarily infer a lot from other stuff, I actually really like this. <laughs> I can see why, if, yeah, I can see why it might not be for you, but it is for mm. me. Thank you, French people, for your love of exposition. <laughs> I really need that stuff. Um, so you reread Long John Silver, how did you get on with it? Uh, I really enjoyed it, apart from all the exposition. Mm. Um, it's such an odd take. So it's it's sort of posed as, a, as an imaginary follow-up to Treasure Island, mm. what Long John Silver did next, which was hang around Bristol being weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've all done it after uni. And really... Treasure Island or whatever. Doubling down on the whole being a cook thing in quite mm. a sinister way. Um, but it's really sort of based around a whole bunch of other people and the quest for El Dorado, mm. which fascinated me as a child. So mm, yes. I, uh, I, I really like that being in there. It's, it's on my, one of those sort of like lights me up mentally mm. concepts. Same with all of the sort of temple running type stuff. Mm. It's got a, it's just got a really fantastic art style and it's mm. that sort of slightly, um, that, that stuff that sort of feels inspired by, uh, Joe Kubert and... Um, the EC horror comics, that sort of um, scratchy line work that seems to have been designed more for drawing skeletons and rotting corpses than actual people. Mm. Um, mm. There's just a sort of horror, a sort of horror-esque impression that you get from the sort of the thick inks. It's, the it's very, it's very rich with that. Even when the subject of the panel isn't necessarily yeah. about it, it's sort of the the composition and the style is itself foreboding. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's not gothic, it's more sort of pulp horror. Mm. Um, in that uselessly non-scriptive, you'll know it when you see it sort mm. of way. It's it's similar to stuff like uh, Five Ghosts that's coming out at the moment. And um, uh, yeah, again, very, very similar to a lot of the UC horror comics, mm. um, Tales from the Crypt and things like that. I, um, I read the second volume 
this week. Does it continue to be good? It does continue to be good. Um, yeah, my only quarrel with it was that when somebody is rifling through someone else's papers to try and find the secret agreement they've made with pirates, the document in question is titled Pirate Agreement, which is really fucking helpful. <laughs> good filing system, guys. I mean, I, I sometimes struggle to figure out whether some of my documents are going to be under pay or tax, so... Mm-hmm. That is really handy naming. That's pretty good. Pirate agreement. If someone was looking for that, they would know exactly what it was when they found it. Um, No, it's good they're they're on the ship. Um, Stuff's going down, the tension between the sort of Royal Navy side and the pirate side is escalating, as you would Mm. expect on a voyage where the two were sharing a vessel. Someone gets smushed to death by barrels. Barrels, you say? Yes. Someone else gets flayed to death. That's not very nice. No, not no. for him. No. Only well, a lad. for anyone. Not a great way to go. No. So, I know we've, we've, um, we've looked at a fair bit of stuff. Uh, is there anything we'd particularly recommend or anything we, we think we should have read? Just Cinebook stuff about pirates or people who deal with lost souls. Like the kind of the historical Cinebook stuff is totally floating my boat right now. I really want to carve off some of the, the cinebook big ticket space opera stuff like mm-hmm. um, Antares or Antares, Antares, I Antares. think, and the other one in that. Like, there's a whole run of weird colonial, like uh, colonist, yeah, space opera. Not, um, not, not Tintin or Congo. No, I can't. I can't remember which order they're in, but there's two or three series. I think. Um, I think Antares is the first one, but uh, they're long running and supposed to be good. Also very affordable. Oh I mean, God, they are. There is there is a ton of stuff that we just haven't had time to look at, and and we did say this. It's two entire very, nations' very comic outputs. I mean, there's a lot we haven't had a chance We've to look at. We've restricted ourselves to the stuff that's available in English, Not which that many is people less. Are translating. Um, question I had about about Tintin and translation was how much of the tone is translation, and how faithfully was it translated? Do we have information so on this? I'm given to understand. Um, and by which I mean I read the Wikipedia article. Oh, good. But, um, so at the Asterix translation is, is famously good. Like, it absolutely nailed the wordplay yeah. and the tone. The, the same, t- same woman has been doing it since the 60s. Damn, that's a good job. The Tintin translation is thought to be decent, but not as much so, I don't think. I think, okay. I think it was more people involved. I think it is ropier. It's been it, battered around a few publishers. It felt like they were trying to replicate stuff that probably worked better in French than English and ended up sounding a bit stiff or a bit weird or a bit old-fashioned in English. I mean, I concentrated on the earlier ones, so maybe it gets better, but so the Thompsons, mm. for instance, mm. you can... It's, it's really interesting, and a lot of what they say isn't funny, but you can tell it's structured like it's meant to be. Yes. And I kind of... I assume there's a pun that hasn't translated or yeah. a bit of context that hasn't quite landed. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because I, I, was, well, I was thinking... I was reading it thinking, you know, maybe I'm being dreadfully rude to the originals and actually this tone is translation but it's probably a little of the two the, the, the thing sort of in the, the, the verbal reversal thing like mm. uh, we such oh in particular we and I think it's supposed to be it reads like it's meant to be yes. slight contradictions or misunderstandings and it just hasn't quite yes I think the film did a fairly good job of that the Spielberg film you could tell that I enjoyed that over. I didn't enjoy the film overall but I thought that you could tell what they were meant to be like mm. quite well it's, I mean, it's, it's ropey, but I enjoyed it. Mm. Fairly loose adaptation of Secret of the, the Unicorn, Unicorn, isn't it? Yeah. With, with bits from a couple of others. I had a Tintin haircut at the time. It's pretty bad. I can see that working out. I've got out. a quiff. Yeah. 
Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's so much we haven't covered. So, I mean, Lucky Luke, obviously, is hugely popularised. Spiru. Um, yeah, 13. Neither of which I've actually read. I've read a little bit of Lucky Luke. I remember not liking it as much as Asterix, but I wasn't really allowed to buy books that weren't Asterix. Cause that was my one that I was allowed to buy. Interesting. Well, it was like, I think my parents realised that there were like, when when I was sort of, okay, they, they acquiesced and said, okay, you can have one. Both of both Asterix and Tintin had about 26 books in the series at that point, and they knew they were in the hole for all of those over the next yeah. five or ten years. So that that was was set out as a yeah a limit did you pass them down though i mean there were there were kids enough to share oh yeah i mean i don't think they cared as much i mean mm. i've got them all again now on my yeah. shelves um but yeah heavy metal again is something that's been fairly big and fairly influential and given the big start to you're talking about a comic the, rather than a genre yeah me- metal along Okay. The comic, um, uh, which gave Mobius his start, which is kind of important in terms of apparent comic art. Yeah, it's not Mobius you dislike, it's uh, Jodorowsky. I know, I know, it's just this vague sort of association of... The Incar got up my nose so much. Mobius is fucking amazing, but the it, it's going to be forever linked in my head to the completely incoherent storytelling. Fair enough. Fair enough. And yet you let Tintin away with it. Well, I just spent about 20 minutes slagging it off. Yeah, but you didn't even mention the bit where he turns into a five-dimensional crystal and fucks his sister. That was a good bit. I enjoyed that bit. Oh, yeah, in, 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 in Tintin and the crystalline space diddle. Yeah. The Urge estate are pretty litigious. We should probably mention that that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> it was an eighth-dimensional spongiform. Are they really? Are they like proper lawyer? I think they're, they're, yeah. Well, when your major trademark and source of income is a weird looking rocket, you've probably got to be on top of that shit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. So I think the main thing we've learned is that that French comics are full of exposition uh, and that we like them anyway. And that there are a lot more that we didn't have time to read because it turns out France is big and there's so much stuff in translation now. That it's actually a really good time for a whole bunch of stuff that we wouldn't have been able to have read yeah, to read before, yeah. particularly mm. the stuff from the last sort of ten, fifteen years that's in the book of putting out now, which is probably kind of niche interest. It's good though. It turns out if those are niche interests, I'm glad my interests are niche. But it just a lot of I mean a lot of that stuff just really does sort of bring back comic stars that sort of disappeared. When the comics code came in and were mm-hmm. replaced by very asinine superheroes, so before mm-hmm. pirate comics and um, a lot historical of ghost mystery ones, yes, they've been a lot more common before the comics. It just code. it didn't go away over there. It's the thing, right? Yeah. Like it's it's a more wide ranging tradition because it never found itself pigeonholed in those manners. A wider readership over a longer time. Yes, more stuff yeah. is being produced for more people. Yeah, yeah, more audiences. I really want to shout out for we've we've covered it before, but for Miss Don't Touch Me which is this delightful little thing. Um, who wrote... Is, it's someone in Kerasket, is it? Or no? No, I'm getting... Uh, Kerasket are the art team on yes. it. Uh, two people who go by the name Kerasket mm. and also did Beautiful Darkness. I cannot remember the author, I'm afraid. We will, we will double-check. We will put it in the show notes. We will put it in the show notes. Miss Don't Touch Me is, is a, 
a lady who's looking for her missing brother, I think, possibly sister, um, who ends up working in a Paris bordello, basically, but won't be touched, and therefore becomes their kind of star big-ticket-earning dominatrix by accident, um, while trying to solve a murder in Fantasy Act Paris. Um, it gets quite dark. It gets mm. really unpleasant, especially in the second volume with the the lobotomy. It's not. Mm. Oh Jesus! Good. Yeah, it's, that's that's. Yeah, that's just that's really unpleasant. I mean, yeah, I don't think that was meant to be the end of the story, but yeah. it sort of just stopped there, and but it was it's on a really done. sour note. So it's it's really horrible Maybe it to was. read, but it's it's extraordinarily well executed for it. It's um, well. The, the the team. Sorry, is is Uber and Karaskat. I don't know who the, uh, the Uber is. Um, I, there's no full name listed there. Um, but yeah, it's not Fabian Bowman. Quite a relief. It probably would have been really nasty. It's pretty nasty, right? If you can hear all the bleeping, we apologise, but someone has decided to endlessly, endlessly run a fucking photocopier where we're recording. <laughs> There's only so much we can do. We should go and hit them with a plank and tie them up if Tintin sort us anything. It does work that for Tintin. Never actually causes any problems. Is there a box of heroin, though? There's a box of heroin waiting for you when we wrap up this podcast. Yay! Do you mean a pizza? Yes. Yes. I don't actually want a box of heroin. I mean, I could use some binding up, but not that extreme. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it from us. I, th- I think it's off for a, a little a little snack pizza. Hmm. I had a nice time. I had a nice time. Yeah. Talking about the French and possibly also the Belgians. We don't discriminate. Possibly. 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 Not like Tintin. Possibly. The racist ginger prick. Bye.